My name is Wade, one of the pastors here. Our passage today is in the book of John, chapter 12, verses 12 through 20 through 26. This is in your bulletin. John chapter 12, verses 20 through 26. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will be my servant also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. This is the word of God. So we're going through the Gospel of John, and we're in the final days of Jesus' life. And the passage we just read is uh, the beginning of what we call the Upper Room Discourse, which is a fancy term for the things that Jesus said to his followers in an upper room before his death. So this passage, it begins, begins with a group of Greeks who traveled from, to Jerusalem for Passover, and they find one of the disciples, and they tell him that they want to see this man, Jesus. So at this point, Jesus, he's caused a huge stir among the people, the pilgrims, who've arrived for Passover. And the author of the Gospel, John, he includes this detail about their ethnicity, because it was rare for non-Jews to celebrate Passover, Passover was the annual festival in which the Jews gathered to celebrate their liberation from the Egyptians. And it was the Jews that understood the significance of this. It was the Jews that were the direct beneficiaries of the liberation from Egypt. So this Passover, this is the the angel of death passing over their homes so that they could live. This was ingrained in the memory of the Jews And the Passover story, this is what gave shape to their lives, even 1,400 years after this happened. So this was a primary marker of the identities of the Jews. And this is why the inclusion of the Greeks in this story is notable. We're being told that Greeks, these Gentiles, these non-Jews, they're also looking for something to give shape to their lives, just as the Passover had given shape to the lives of God's people. Right before today's passage, if you have your Bibles, in verse 19, um, in today's passage, verse 19, the Pharisees, they mentioned that the whole world has gone after Jesus. What does this mean? Commentators, they speculate that for the Greeks, when the Greeks in this passage uh, came, they were either admirers of Judaism or perhaps they were uh, actual converts to Judaism. We don't know for certain, and we don't know, and, and we don't need to know for, uh, for us to understand why they're in the story, because these Greeks, they act as representatives for the whole world, and they come with this request, which I think it, uh, should be on our minds all the time. We wish to see Jesus. They're coming to look for something, and their quest leads them to a person 
they're not looking for sage advice. They're not looking for a reading list. They're not looking for strategies for enlightenment. They're looking for a person. And today's story, it plays out the way it does because the focal point of the story is a person. The focal point of their of this search that they've been on is a person. So this sets the stage for us that these Greeks, they act as representatives representatives of us as well. We all want something, whether or not we know it. And if we don't follow Jesus yet, I want to suggest to you that you're not looking for something, you are looking for someone. And for those of us who follow Jesus, I hope the words in today's passage, they'll give shape to our own lives and who we are and what we're supposed to do, just as these Greeks were looking So my goal for this morning is for us to consider two things, uh, how Jesus presents himself and what it means for our own lives, or to put it in question form, why did Jesus come and why am I here? So these are going to be the two things we'll consider today. Uh, These are the two points. Number one, the hour, and number two, the honor. So the first point, the hour. So Philip and Andrew, they tell Jesus, hey, there's these people looking for you. They pass on the request of the Greeks, and in typical Jesus fashion, he doesn't answer the question directly. Verse 23, he says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. In the early stages of Jesus' ministry, in the account of Jesus turning the water into wine, do you remember what happens? His, his mother Mary, he tells him that the wedding party has run out of wine. And again, in typical Jesus fashion, he says, My hour has not yet come. So what am I supposed to do with that? It seems such, so out of place for him to say this. Later on at the Feast of Tabernacles in John chapter 8, his brothers urged Jesus, glorify yourself by performing miracles. And again, Jesus' response, he says, my time has not yet come. What is your time, Jesus? And later on, when the authorities are keeping an eye on him as he's causing trouble for them, John tells us, that they didn't arrest Jesus even though they wanted to because why? Jesus' hour had not yet come. So from the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he's been aware of this this period of time, this, this hour, this moment that would be the moment for which he ultimately came. And throughout his ministry, Jesus, he doesn't explain what the hour is until now, until this passage today. So what is this hour? Before I explain to you, let me first tell you about what it isn't. This is what his hour is not. So the Jewish hearers, they, 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 they might hear what Jesus is saying, and to them, they're thinking, we've been oppressed by the Romans all this time. We can't wait to get out from underneath their, their, their oppression. And what comes to mind for them is, they're thinking, here is a man who's going to lead a charge against the oppressors, with trumpets blowing, with fanfare, and with the intention of conquest, of conquering the evil Romans. This is not what Jesus' hour is. Or perhaps it was a time for Jesus to say, look at how great I am. The artist Andy Warhol, he famously said that everyone has their 15 minutes of fame. Do you remember this phrase. This is the idea that everyone will have their moment in the spotlight. When all eyes are on you, and the, uh, the hearers of Jesus' words, they're thinking, this is Jesus' time to shine. 
This is time for us to see him explode everything. This is for us to see just how great and brilliant he is. 12 or 13 years ago, I was in New York to visit a friend, and we were walking to dinner, and we came across this, this huge crowd, and the huge crowd happened to be in front of Radio City Music Hall, if you've ever been there. And we didn't know this, but this was the night that the MTV Music Video Awards was happening. So the crowd, there's this huge crowd. They, they were standing along the street. They were watching all the celebrities go by. So uh, I was like, I want to see some celebrities. So my friend and I, we, we stood there on the sidewalk with all these other people. And uh, in, in the, the minutes that we were there, I saw the Black Eyed Peas. I saw Lil Wayne, or is Lil Wayne. Uh, I saw Jared Leto, 30 Seconds to Mars, or... Uh, the really bad Joker a couple years ago. Um, I saw Johnny Knoxville. I saw Steve-O. I saw Rihanna. There's, there's a progression to my order. They're getting more and more famous. I saw Mark Antony and the woman he was dating at the time. J-Lo, Jennifer Lopez, Jenny from the Block. And then I saw the queen bee herself. I saw Beyonce. Can you believe that? I think I peaked at that moment. It's all been downhill since then. All these famous people, all these celebrities being applauded, people yelling their name. These are men and women who had worked hard. They made the right connections. They sacrificed and did everything that was necessary in their power to get to a moment like this, where they would look good, where they would be admired, where they could hear the screams and be recognized for who they were and what they do. And I suspect that many of these celebrities would say that this is what their life is about. To have, they've made something of themselves and finally they can be recognized. Finally they're being glorified. If you're not into pop culture, you might think of it in terms of perhaps an athlete standing on the Olympic podium or maybe an NBA team receiving the championship trophy, which probably isn't going to happen with uh, this year's Warriors. Or perhaps a CEO ringing the bell to open the stock market on the day that their company goes public. This is our our idea of our time to shine. This is what we think of when we think of the hour. And Jesus, in this passage, he says, My time has come. But his time is not a time for him to be applauded. It's not a time for him to reap the rewards of all that he'd done. The glorification that Jesus is talking about here is the complete opposite. Verse 24, he says, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. What's Jesus saying? Jesus, he's comparing himself to a kernel of wheat that's sown into the ground and then dies in order to bring a a harvest. Death is central to his glorification. Rather than being set on a pedestal to be applauded, he's going to be brought low. He's going to be humiliated. And Jesus knows in this moment that his death is going to be a shameful death. It's one in which he's stripped of all his dignity, where people, they would turn their faces away from him in disgust. This is what the prophet Isaiah says. Death on a Roman cross which was reserved for the worst of criminals. 
Now, how can this be glorification? Consider the imagery that Jesus gives us. The sower is God the Father who places Jesus in the ground. Earlier in the Gospel, in chapter 8, Jesus says that he doesn't seek his own glory. He did not come to seek his own glory. And yet, Jesus knows there will be a time when he's glorified. So who does a glorification? It's God who puts Jesus into the soil. It's by submitting to the Father that Jesus is glorified. So this imagery of the wheat, this helps us understand what he means by glorification. Think of, I know we're not an agrarian society, but just think of a a grain of wheat. The only way a grain of wheat can produce more wheat is if it dies. By being placed into the ground with the purpose of sprouting and yielding a harvest. So the glory of a grain is not it being put in a silo. The glory of a grain is not to look pretty and admired. The glory of a grain is for it to do what it was created to do, to propagate, to reproduce, to bear fruit, as Jesus puts it in his passage, and to be glorified for what it really is. This is what it means to be glorified, to be shown what you really are, for your purpose to be brought forth. And the glory of Jesus is for him to do what he was sent on the earth to do, Jesus' ultimate purpose was, that so, was for him to die so that there would be much life as a result of his death. It would be so that all people, like you and me, and the Greeks that were in this passage, so that they would all have life. D.A. Carson, he puts it this way, Like the seed whose death is the germination for a great crop, so Jesus' death generates a plentiful harvest. The seed is thereby vindicated, the son is thereby glorified. By dying, Jesus fulfills his purpose. And the greatness and truth of all that Jesus is, is made known. This is what it means to be glorified. This is the glorification of Jesus for who he is to be made known. Now the question we should be asking ourselves is this. Why is his death necessary? His death was necessary because you and I were created to fulfill a purpose. Our purpose is to know God and to worship Him. But what did we do? We distorted that purpose, and instead of loving God, we love ourselves. Instead of trusting Him, we trust our own standards. Instead of going by His holy, perfect righteousness, we go by our own standards of goodness. Instead of trusting God, we trust ourselves. Instead of looking to God for life and joy, we look to everything else but God for life and joy. And the natural consequence of that is death. Whenever we look, up, look for life apart from the only source of life, the, conse- the consequence is death. So the gospel says that we were condemned for death and there is no way, no way of escape from death except for one. So the Father, he sends Jesus to live the life of love and trust and worship that we couldn't. And he died at the death that we earned for ourselves. Jesus took on the punishments upon himself. He died, and like this grain of wheat, he dies so that there would be life. So that there would be life in you and in me. So do you want to know glory? You can never know glory until you fulfill your purpose. 
Do you want to know why you're here? There's only one thing that can give shape to your purpose. Jesus fulfilled his purpose so that we could fulfill ours. Listen to 1 Timothy 1. Paul says this, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. This is what Jesus says, means when he says that this is his hour. I've come not just to be a good teacher. I've come not to stir up trouble. I didn't come just to inspire you. I came to die. This is my hour. My glorification is my death. What does that mean for us? This brings us to our second point, our honor. Look at verses 25 and 26. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will be my servant also. So Jesus has spoken of his life, and now he tells his followers to look at their own lives. And he says there are two things that you can do with your life. You can either love your life, or you can lose your life. Two things, love it or lose it. What does it mean to love our life? It means to hold it as precious. It's holding our lives, our preferences, and our safety, and our comfort and fulfillment as the highest good. What are our priorities, and who, whose love does it reflect? And before you think that you don't love your life all that much, I want to ask you some questions. Uh, actually, this is, might get a little personal, so let me make it a little bit easier. I'll ask you to think about your friends, all right? I'm going to ask you to think about the person sitting next to you, maybe, or you have some, someone in mind, because maybe this stuff doesn't apply to you, all right? Let me ask some questions. Is it the natural tendency of your friends to downgrade or upgrade things in their life? When was the last time your friends bought a smaller house in a less affluent neighborhood when their financial means increased? When was the last time your friends did that? And instead of spending on their own family, they gave the money away. When was the last time your friends bought a cheaper, not-as-nice car so that they would have more money to spend on blessing other people? Do you have any friends that have done that? Are your friends annoyed when things don't go their way? Do your friends care about what people think of them? Do they get anxious or upset when someone thinks negatively of them? When was the last time your friends chose not to defend their reputation when they were attacked? In their relationships, do your friends resist when their friends or their spouses ask that they sacrifice their time or their hobbies or their preferences for the good of the relationship? When your friends think of the future, do they think of how they need to save and invest so that their children and they themselves won't won't have to worry about safety or comfort or inconvenience? Or to put this question another way, when your friends think of the future, do they think of what they need to do so that they, they won't have to trust God 20 years down the road? These are some questions that you can ask your friends to see if they love their life or if they hate it. 
Answer these questions for your friends. And then consider whether or not they love their lives. If they love their lives, maybe you need to sit them down and say, you need to repent. Because it doesn't apply to you, does it? It doesn't apply to me. So maybe I'll just tell my friends. Do you love your life? And Jesus says, if you love your life, you better be willing to lose it. Lose your life just as I have. Four weeks ago, Arnold Schwarzenegger was a guest on Howard Stern's radio show, and they were talking about death. And this is what Arnold Schwarzenegger said only a month ago. I'm not afraid of death. I'm just PO'd about it. It is upsetting. I'm so angry about it. I'm furious about it. And Arnold Schwarzenegger, I think he's 73 years old. Death is coming for him soon. (laughs) This is true of all of us. Whether it be 10 years down the road or 50 years down the road, it's coming for all of us. And he's referring, obviously, to physical death. But I think Schwarzenegger's sentiments are in line with what I think most of us think about death. Because life is precious, because death is evil, because it's wrong. That's why he's so angry, and so is God. You can listen to Pastor Michael's sermon on John 11 if you want to hear more. It's Death is bad. It is wrong. There should be a response to it. But there's a type of death that Jesus refers to here that I think that we can apply Schwarzenegger's words to. When Jesus calls us to lose our lives, there's something in us that says, I'm upset at that. I'm angry that I can't live my life the way that I want. Why? Because we all love our lives. We all love our lives. And this is something that we need to understand about following Jesus. Following Jesus doesn't mean that we'll always want to do what he asks of us. Following Jesus does not mean that we'll always want to do what he asks of us. Take, for example, your desire to live a certain lifestyle. Maybe you want to associate with a certain social circle. Maybe you want to have a prestigious career. Maybe you want to live by a certain sexual ethic. Or maybe you want, a certain zip, you want to live in a certain zip code and be around people of a certain socioeconomic level. Now, these things may not be immoral or illegal, but what if Jesus were to tell you to give that up? What would you do? How we respond to that shows us whether we love our lives or are willing to lose it. And the follower of Jesus is going to say this. It hurts for me to give this up. This doesn't fit into the plans I made for my life. This goes against all my feelings and emotions, and yet I will let go of them for the sake of Jesus. This is what it means to follow Jesus. Have you ever considered this? Often our wishes and desires are given to us not to be fulfilled, but to be sacrificed as an act of worship to God. Often our wishes and desires are given to us not to be fulfilled, but they're to be sacrificed. Sacrifice is costly. Worship is often painful. And doesn't this run contrary to everything our culture tells us? 
culture tells us you've worked hard and you deserve the fruits of your labor. You deserve a certain level of comfort. Culture tells us follow your heart, chase your dreams. Culture tells us trust yourself. And Jesus says that he deserves every aspect of your life more than you deserve it. Jesus says, follow him rather than follow your heart. Jesus says, trust him rather than trust yourself. Jesus says, lose your life. What are we called to do? We're called to death for the sake of others, like the grain of wheat that that Jesus talks about. We're to die so that others will live. This is our purpose. The Greeks came to Jesus. They said, we wish to follow Jesus. They're looking to give shape to the life. And what is the shape of the Christian life? It's a cruciform, an instrument of death. This is what defines what we do. As followers of Jesus, we're to give ourselves so that others will learn to follow Jesus faithfully. How is IGC going to be a church full of people who will love the Lord and follow Jesus. Don't you all want that? Don't you want this church to be full of people who love Jesus that much? This is only going to happen if every member in this church is going to lose their life. If your name is on the member roll, this is what you're called to do. I think of the youth ministry volunteers. They spend their Fridays with the kids. They come early on Sundays to do the youth Sunday school before service. Sometimes they've come just for the sake of one kid. What do you call that? Or the nursery workers and the children's ministry teachers. They give up sitting in the Sunday services so that they can care for your children. I think of the many people who gave up their preferences for a church and they committed to an imperfect IGC despite the challenges of fitting in, they lost their life to be part of this church. I think of those who give up their leisurely Sunday mornings to come early to set up and to pray. I think of those who cut back on their expenses so that they they can give financially. I think of those who cut out things from their schedule so that they have time to disciple others. By the grace of God, we have people in this church that do these things. They hate their life. And what if this were true of all of us? Our purpose as Jesus followers is to give ourselves up. God's intent for your life is to take up your cross and die to yourself. Die to your preferences. Die to your love of comfort and safety and predictability. Die to your need to be right and respected. Do you hear the tone of what Jesus is saying? God never calls us to something that doesn't require self-denial. Have you ever thought about that? If there's not some level of difficulty, if if there's not some level of painful sacrifice in your life, then may I suggest to you that you are disobedient to God. You're not living the life that God has called you to because if your life is comfortable and predictable and safe, I don't know if that's a way of Jesus. 
And this is why Jesus uses such stark language. He says, you have to hate your life. Your love for me has to look, your, lo- your love for your life has to look like hatred in comparison to me. Jesus, he knows how difficult this is. Do our lives reflect our God-given purpose of death and hatred of our own lives? Now, this sounds quite difficult. It sounds a little depressing. I don't mean for it to be that way. And thank God it doesn't need to stay that way. Let's continue on in our passage. The second half of verse 26. If anyone serves me, the, uh, the Father will honor him. So I want you to think about this idea of honor. To be honored is to be held in high regard. We all want this. We, we, we all want people to look at us and say, there's a person that I can respect. There's a person that I can admire. We want honor. Think of our social media accounts. Think of how we curate our image. So in 2011, Facebook changed the format of the pages on its site. If you were on Facebook in 2011, um, you might remember that there was this huge uproar because people didn't like this new feature that they were implementing. The feature was called Timeline. Do you guys remember this? I remember people were so upset that they were doing this on Facebook, that they were messing with our profiles. And, and the marketing said that this timeline, this is, this is Facebook's words, a new way to express who you are. And over the years, this has been the mantra of social media. Social media morphed from a method of communication to a way to express your identity. We just assume that this is what social media is for now. But less than 10 years ago, it wasn't like this. But we've absorbed it. Mike Cosper says this, Our presence on social media is a story we're telling about who we are. It's all about the editing. What we share and don't share on social media is shaped by how we want the world to see us. Easily managed, easily edited lives. So social media platforms, what they do is they give us a platform for glorifying ourselves. We want people to recognize us and applaud us and acknowledge everything that we've done. I see your Instagram stories. I see how awesome your life is. I see the good food that you guys eat, and I go, I want that life. I wish I could travel as much as these people do. You guys have such amazing lives. We want people to recognize who we are. We want to be honored. Now, this goes against what Jesus says about losing your life. There's nothing sexy about dying to your desires. There's nothing cool about presenting your struggles in following Jesus. But following Jesus means that we're not concerned about how we look. We're not concerned about our reputation. Jesus was a man of no reputation, the Bible tells us. And that means that if we follow a man of no reputation, what's the implication? Would you rather be respected or would you rather follow Jesus? How do you want to present yourself to the world? If we, followed, if we faithfully follow Jesus, we will have the approval that really matters. Our passage promises that God will honor us. Look at verse 26 again. Where I am, there will be my servant also. We need to remember that Jesus went to the cross, but after his death and burial, Jesus was raised to life, and he ascended to glory 
at the right hand of the Father where he now reigns. When Jesus says, where I am, there will be my servant also, he's not just talking about death. He's talking about life. If you go with Jesus to the cross and the grave, you'll also be raised to life. Listen to this from Ephesians 2.6. God raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Can you believe that you are seated in heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ? This is what you were designed for. This is what awaits us. Even now, there's a part of us that's seated at the right hand of the Father. Why? Because Jesus is there. Where I am, there will be my servant also. If you follow Jesus, you will be honored. You will be glorified. Colossians 3, For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. You'll also appear with him in glory. This is so much better than anything you can put on Facebook or Instagram. You will appear with the Lord Jesus Christ in glory. First Peter 1, You have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You have something awaiting you that will last for eternity. This belongs to you now. So why do you need the applause? Why do you need the acclaim? Why do you need the riches of this world? Following Jesus doesn't lead to riches often. Following Jesus often leads you to difficult places. But isn't it worth it? Isn't it worth it? Where I am, there will be my servant also. What, it mean, what does it mean for us that we will be honored? It means that every sacrifice that we've ever made will be vindicated. Every act of self-denial, every act of painful worship, every moment you, ha- you spent serving others, every time you struggled through the doubts and confusion, we're going to see one day that every step we took in the footsteps of Jesus, every act of obedience was worth it. This is your purpose. This is your purpose, IGC. This is your glory right now is to follow Jesus into the difficult places, into the difficult situation. That's your glory. Because we died in this life, we will have life in the next. A.M. Hunter says this, It has been said that the follow me is the whole of the Christian's duty. As to be where Christ is, is the whole of his reward. It is our duty to follow Christ. It is our reward to be where Christ is. Don't you want to be honored by God? Don't you want to be honored by the infinite, perfect, holy God? If you follow Jesus, you will be. If you lose your life because he lost his life for you, you can lose your life for him. Will you pray with me? Father, how amazing it is that we can say this life is defined by the cross and that we can joyfully lose our life for your sake and we we can be guaranteed the reward of Jesus. I pray that you would shape us as a church, that we'd be people that would lose our life 
that we would hold our lives as weak and faint and feeble compared to the glory that awaits us, God. Make this true of us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.